everyone, this is Mike Lindstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled True Stewardship. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of church membership Mm -hmm. in the area of stewarding relationships with other people. And as usual, I'm here with my pastor, my pal, my buddy, Mr. Chad Wiles. Chad, how you doing, bud? Doing good, man. Doing good. It's been a great new year so far and excited to jump back in this topic. Yes. Uh, We've been talking about stewardship for a few podcasts now, but just a quick review. We do have um, a book that we've drawn the definition that we're working with for this podcast series. The book is called The Sower. One of the authors is Gary Hogue. It's a phenomenal book, particularly if you are involved in the area of fundraising, mm. um, whether that be secular, the secular area or the, the ministry area. The Sower will really provide you with some biblical perspective on the topic of fundraising. And so this is how Gary Hogue defines what a steward is in the book, The Sower. Quote, Reflecting our creator God through whole redeemed relationships on all four levels and glorifying God by practicing in each the ongoing work of the steward. Now, it's safe to assume that a steward in a biblical sense is a redeemed person, Mm -hmm. i.e. a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the four levels or the redeemed relationships on all four levels, as he puts it here, are the relationship to God the relationship to oneself, the relationship to others, and then the relationship to the created world. So there's one vertical aspect there, and then there's three horizontal sort of categories there. And you can kind of already just imagine that if that vertical aspect is not uh, sorted out, right? If you don't have peace with God, to use the Apostle Paul's term and Romans chapter five, verses one and two, well, then there's no way that you can have peace in your other categories of relationships. So first and foremost, uh, if you want to have peace with other people, true peace with yourself and peace with the created world, then it is a necessity that you have peace with God. And that only comes by grace through faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, the definition is reflecting our creator God through whole redeemed relationships on all four of those levels and glorifying God by practicing in each the ongoing work of the steward. Now, one of the key thoughts that we have to keep in our mind on this topic of stewardship is that when we're talking about our relationships, and last podcast episode on this topic, we talked about our relationship to money. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about our relationships in this week's podcast episode to other people, we have to understand that we are not the owner of those relationships or resources. We are simply a manager or a steward, right? And so the way that we can think about this in the context of one-on-one personal relationship is that the other person doesn't exist to satisfy my wants, mm-hmm. doesn't exist to satisfy my needs. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. We have a relationship so that we can serve one another out of reverence for Christ and mutual respect for the fact that we're both created in the image of God, right? Yeah. And so that's a key idea to remember. And the other key idea that I've got, and then we'll have Chad weigh in, this is all review, is that there is this concept of, as Gary Hogue puts it, two kingdom bondage and one kingdom freedom. And we're going to use that language in today's podcast episode. But 
two kingdom bondage is when really we start to put on that mentality of I am the owner of this relationship. I am at the center of this relationship. The other person is only my friend or only exists to satisfy my needs, my wants, right? And so in, when we're in two kingdom bondage, our mindset is it's all about me. It's about self, right? Mm-hmm. But when we, when we are in one kingdom freedom, it's the opposite. It's not all about me. It's about God and mm-hmm. it's about other people. It's about reflecting my creator God and glorifying him, right? That mm-hmm. is one kingdom freedom. And for Christ has called us to freedom, right? He has set yeah. us free for freedom's sake, it says in Galatians chapter five, verse one. And so as children of God, as redeemed individuals, we wanna remember that our mindset is very important mm-hmm. when we're going throughout our day. And so before we get any further into the topic, Chad, do you have anything you want to add to this idea? Yeah, the, the idea you're describing there is, is rooted in the idea of worship, right worship. Um, maybe a better term for people to, to understand the idea of worship because it's, it's been uh, defined wrongly so many times is the idea of treasuring, right? Because <clears throat> sometimes we uh, um, define worship in a one-dimensional way of like, singing songs on a Sunday or yeah. going to church or, and those are aspects, mm-hmm. but that's not, that's not really a, a full definition of what worship is. The word treasure <clears throat> or treasuring is a better definition because it's whatever you love most, seek most, seek for uh, help and comfort mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and desire most. And all those things are wrapped up in the idea of worship. Yeah. So that idea of two kingdom bondage or, not being about self, really what we're talking about is do you worship yourself or do you worship God rightly? Yeah. Two greatest commandments that the Lord puts forth in Matthew uh, 22, uh, verse um, 36, when the lawyer's asking, him, he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And then the second is like it, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Right there, we see what we were created for. We are created to worship and glorify God, and we're created to love and serve and be a reflection of God's glory to others. Mm -hmm. Self is never in the equation. No. Our identity is meant to be found in Christ alone. We don't have to, one, we're not meant to be worshipped, but two, we don't have to seek things for ourselves. They've been given to us by God, for God, right? We were created in His image for His glory. And... That image was marred because of sin, but Christ, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for us to be made right before a holy God. So as we put our faith in Christ, we're made new, and we're, we're made back into the, the right um, place with God in right worship and, and true righteousness. So in that place, we're able, once again, that's where freedom comes from, to be one kingdom-minded in terms of worshiping God alone. Uh, and Ephesians 1 reminds us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We've been made children. We've been given, mm-hmm. you know, all of these benefits and privileges of a child of God. I don't need to look for approval from others. Yeah. I My desire is to be approved by God, and I've got it through Christ. Amen. I don't need to seek my own control. I need to trust in God's sovereign control. I don't need to look to be in, you know, to have power. I trust in God's authority and power. I yeah. don't need to look for comfort. God is my comforter. Yeah, everything I need's already been given in Christ. That gives me the ability then to 
love and serve others. Yeah, that's well put. Just to, just to sort of piggyback on that, the idea of treasuring, right, necessitates action, right? Because mm-hmm. all too often we can take that term and kind of turn it into like this emotional feeling, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, I treasure Jesus. Of course I do. Like, yeah. I really love him. <laughs> but then when, when we read scriptures like John 14, verse 15, Jesus defines love for us. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Mm-hmm. And then people that don't want to submit their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but yet still claim this love, they have a misunderstanding of what Jesus means by that love, right? Right. And, and that, that is a worldly conception of mm-hmm. love. It is an erotic sense. It's like yeah. I have a feeling of I don't know, goodness or whatever towards the divine being, but I'm unwilling to really submit my life to the divine being, right. which really just shows us that, yeah, you may have good feelings about the Lord Jesus, but when you say treasure him, you you yeah. remove his definition of treasuring and you place yours. So what does that do to the relationship then between you and God? Mm-hmm. It places me or the person above right. God, right? And we break the first commandment. And, we break, and so therefore we're not going to have peace with God and or other people because right. that relationship has been marred. And, and it, may be a, a, it may be a true believer that maybe has just kind of gone wayward a little bit that has lost sight of the, re, of the importance of... Uh, progressive sanctification, obedience, etc. Mm. And you know, if that person is a child of God, the Lord's going to discipline and bring them back into line because He's the one who saves us, right? Mm. He's the one who sanctifies us, and He's faithful to complete the good work right. that He's begun. But um, that's not genuine, generally typical of a true believer, right? A true believer, when they say they treasure the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. they mean that they will gladly sacrifice their entire self for the Lord Jesus Christ, right. right? Matthew 13, 44, right? It's yeah. all about, oh, I found the the, the treasure of, of mm-hmm. great value. I sell everything I have and I wouldn't got that field, right? Yeah. And, and so, um, so go ahead, Chad. And false worship leaves us wanting, right? Because it's, it's yeah. false, right? True worship, it, when we say it's not about you, that's a blessing. Yeah. Some people hear that and say, well, that leaves me, what about me? That leaves me wanting. No, it doesn't. Because what we just talked about, you're given everything in Christ. You're you're left without anything. Like yeah. you don't need anything. You you've given everything in full. It's you know an ocean doesn't want for water, right. right? It has all the water it needs. But if a desert tries to be an ocean, it's never going to have enough water to yeah. fulfill that. And right. so when we try to be God, we're always going to be empty and dry. Yeah. But when we're in the right relationship with God that we were created for, for his glory and for others' good, we're that ocean. We, you, don't, you don't need to look for water. You, you have all of it. Yeah, right? yeah. No, it's good. It's good. So let's look at some scriptures that reveal um, what it means to be in, quote-unquote, one kingdom freedom mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of our relationships with other people, yeah. right? We're going to be talking about church membership today. Some people listening to this podcast may have never heard of that. Um, other people are very well acquainted with that. And so I think it's really pertinent for us to discuss it. But before we do get there, right? you know, like we did in the last podcast episode, does God really care about this, right? Is <laughs> right. this really a big deal, right? And we found out as it pertains to our money, yes, yes he God does. does care very much about very how much. we spend our money and steward it. And one thing I'll say just to preface this conversation, I think a lot of times when we think about church membership, we think in the same way as our gym membership. It's <laughs> not the same thing. Right? right, but that's how we view it a lot of times. Like I'm a member here, and I don't like this anymore. Now I'm a member over here, or right, I'm a, I'm a member here because of the benefits I receive, and if I stop getting those benefits, or I got to pay to be a member, mm-hmm. all that kind of idea. 
that's not biblical membership. That's not covenant right. membership with the body of Christ. So. Yeah, we can put it another way. Basically, when you become a, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I'll say this yeah. and I'll move to our scriptures. When you become a believer, yeah. you are you are infused into, you are brought into, you are included into now the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so you are a member of Christ's body, mm -hmm. right? Now you can think of it, uh, okay, am I the arm? Am I the foot? Am I part yeah. of the eye? Like you're, a, in that sense, you're a member, right? Yeah. It's very different than like you said, Chad, a church or um, a gym membership, right? Right. This is not a, we don't bring a consumer mentality into this type of membership right. here, okay? Or you shouldn't at least. Yes, and unfortunately, as we're going to get into think today, about it has your, been. And then think about your local church as the cells that are within the body, mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. that make up the full body of Christ. Um, that's why it's important for you to find the local church, which we'll talk more about in a minute, but just wanted to give that imagery. So one scripture here that reveals instruction as to how to be in one kingdom freedom in that mindset is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. The writer says, Let us consider how to stir up one another, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Later on in that same book, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer says, pursue, or some translations say, strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness, or some other ones say, the sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. So in those two scriptures, we see a couple of things. Number one, that meeting together and attaining holiness yeah. is hard work. Strive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Agonizo, like work very hard <laughs> to right. do this, right? Let's work very hard, number one, to stir up one another. Let's, let's think about, he says, consider how to. Let's think of creative ways that are within the text of Scripture mm -hmm. to stir one another up to love and good works while at the same time not neglecting to meet together, right? right. So wait, 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 wait. Does that mean I can do online church? There's no such thing as online church, right? <laughs> right? Just because you're watching a television screen with other people meeting in person doesn't mean you're actually right. there, right? Yeah, you're observing... And a church happening yes. you're not a part of. You're it. on the outside looking <laughs> in, and COVID, unfortunately, gave everyone this false idea that that counts. Because once again, that's what we're trying to help reshape the definition. It's not, once worship is not just listening to a sermon or listening to worship music. Worship is not just, or a church is not just seeing a sermon. It's being a part of the body, attending, the, being in worship together, corporately together, meeting together, breaking. There's all sorts of aspects of worship in the church. Right. That's why Mike can say, that's not a church. Well, because it, it lacks the one necessary ingredient, right? Yeah. It lacks true relationship, mm -hmm. right? I watch, I watch John MacArthur. I watch Steve Lawson. I watch all these guys right. a lot on and YouTube. And they're beneficial, yeah. Check it out. Hey. They don't know me. Right. right. <laughs> I've never met them in person. Steve Lawson's not saying, Mike, how are you doing with X, Y, Z? Exactly. He's not going, hey, brother, like, I just want to check in with you. How are you today? Right. Never said that to me. Yeah. Right. And by the way, you bring up a great point. Is there anything wrong with supplementary, you know, like learning and, and watching a lecture or something mm -hmm. from, or a, or a sermon from these guys? Of course not. No, it's actually but very good. But that's not being a part of a church. Right. It's, and, and this is where, this is where I want to leave people with. 
it's it's it, you cannot bring the well I do this so therefore I don't have to do this. That's the entirely wrong way to think about this whole thing. Right. It should be I love the Lord and I love His people. Mm-hmm. I want to be with His people in right. person. Right. I enjoy watching the CrossFit games when they come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not me doing CrossFit. Right. <laughs> right. Dang it. I enjoy watching it. But then if I want to actually work out, I got to go to the gym and actually work out. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So moving on then to, to another scripture where we see uh, the instruction of how to be in one kingdom freedom. It comes from the Lord Jesus mouth himself. Just listen to this, right? Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So let's take that principle, right? Which, mm-hmm. by the way, is not unique to Christianity, right? But mm-hmm. just because it's not unique to Christianity doesn't mean that Jesus isn't God, right? Because mm-hmm. all truth is his truth. There's general revelation and general That's right. Grace. Okay. Notice the operative phrase there. Wish that others would do to you, you do also to them. Mm-hmm. So let's take it into that example we just used. If I am a quote-unquote church member online only, I never have the opportunity to do any of the things to those people right. that I wish they would do to me. Right. Therefore, I cannot, I've removed myself from being able to, to express obedience in this yeah. area. Well, and then you know, Romans 12 re- reminds us that the marks of a true Christian, so in order to even consider yourself a true Christian, here are the marks or the evidences of Starting in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, mm-hmm. outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Mm-hmm. Bless those who persecute you and, and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. There's a lot of one another's here. Yeah. Which yeah. implies you have to be a part of the Christian body. Yeah. You have to know Christians. You have to be a part of the Christian flock. You have to be in fellowship with the body. And that's yes. not all aspects because you can say, like, well, I've got Christian friends. I, I am a part of the body in that way. I've got Christian yeah. friends. And we'll address that. In a, we'll in get a there in a, in a moment. But I, we're going back to our definition. I just want to anchor this part of the discussion in like the overarching why. Mm-hmm. Remember, being a steward means reflecting our creator God and glorifying him. Okay, reflecting our creator God. What does this have to do with reflecting God? God is in perfect relationship with himself. Mm-hmm. This, this ultimately stems out of the <clears throat> reality that God is a triune being. Mm-hmm. He is three persons in one, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea of relationship with others does exist within the Trinity. And this is the overarching why. If we're going to be uh, obedient children of God, this necessitates us being good stewards, good managers, right? Therefore, we have to reflect our creator God in this way. And dare I say that if you are a true believer, you will do this naturally, right? This will happen because God's righteousness that's been imputed to you will create righteousness in you and then through you. This is the express teaching of the whole entire book of Romans, yeah. right? What you just read, chapter 12, is the final part of that. God's righteousness has been given to us by grace through faith. Yep, yep. It creates within us a real righteousness, which is Christ's, mm-hmm. and that permeates our entire being as it flows out into the world, yeah. right? And so 
being a steward is just another synonym for being a Christian in all reality. Yeah. And so we have a couple of scriptures there that, that give us some solid instruction. But let's focus now on church membership, because if we're going to be good stewards, mm-hmm. this means that we will be a member of the body of Christ, a functioning member right. of the body of Christ. And I'm going to be uh, using one of the field church's distinctives on church membership in our statement of faith to really help guide this conversation. But first and foremost, what is the definition of a church member? And I've already kind of hit on this. Essentially, a church member is somebody who's been saved, who's been included in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this inclusion in the body necessarily means that you have been united with Christ. Therefore, you have also been united spiritually with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's a very, very powerful concept to think about. You know, even some secular institutions, Chad, have caught on to this idea of fellowship. Let's take Alcoholics Anonymous, for for example. Yeah, yeah. The fellowship is what they are all about. They're all about accountability, yes. all about all that stuff. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, these are inherently good things. Once again, general revelation, general grace, the truths, of, the truths are true regardless of who it's revealed to, meaning they, they're taking aspects of what the Lord has put forth, and it... And guess what? It works best. It works. (laughs) Yes, because truth always does work. Mm -hmm. It is perfect. And so when someone is saved, they become a member of the body of Christ. And so that's what it means, right? Mm -hmm. And and we we do need to harp on that a little bit because of the fact that our culture, particularly here in America, right? We're all a part of this. We're very consumer oriented. And we all think this way. Like, well, I don't really like like this church because, you know, they the music and you know, I mean, they don't really have any coffee and blah, 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 blah. But the preaching's pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll go. I don't really like them anymore. I'm gonna go to this one over here. Wow, the music's great. It's like a rock show in here, right? The preaching's like, oh, I don't know. I've kind of heard that message a thousand times. Yeah. The coffee's really good though. And you know what? The kids' ministry is amazing. Right. I think I'll have to probably just stay here for for the kids. You know, I'll just do for the kids. Right. That's basically the whole (laughs) spectrum right there. Right. (laughs) Right. That's basically the whole spectrum right there. You know. And, uh, and, we, and we kind of just oscillate, right? We, mm-hmm. we vacillate in between these things as, as our feelings change about whatever building we happen to decide to go to that has this group of people there that we really don't know. We're not that involved mm-hmm. with. We just see them once a, once a week, right? I mean, we've all been there, have we not? Yeah, right? yeah, I'm yeah. speaking to, I'm preaching to the choir mm-hmm. because our culture is steeped in this consumer mindset. Mm-hmm. But remember, the book that we all read, the book that we love, the book that we claim is our life, right, is the Word of God. And it knows nothing of this consumer mindset when it comes to church membership. I mean, literally the idea of someone experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church is totally foreign to the New Testament. Yeah, It's utterly foreign, right? Mm -hmm. So what are a couple of I mean, let's look, we already talked about the definition, but what are a couple of identifiable traits uh, about, you know, existing as a member of a church? Like, why do we go to this church, right? Mm -hmm. Well, number one, we receive instruction from God's word, right? Right. I mean, is it, are you even a church if if there's Mm -hmm. no preaching of the word of God? And, and the instruction, I'll take it one step further. Yeah. That instruction from the word of God should be taught from, qualified biblical 
elders, past, pastor, elder, same, same, uh, mm-hmm. same word there. Um, and you can look in Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the, what are the qualifications, what's the purpose of elders, what do they do? Because <clears throat> the reason why I say that is that's protective for you. You shouldn't go just become a part of a member of a church <clears throat> blindly, right? You, you're going to submit to these leaders and these elders, so take the time to make sure they're faithful to the word, that they are qualified elders because you are submitting yourself to yeah. them. But that's a distinctive, right? So the right preaching and teaching of the word should be should be taught by or at least oversaw. I mean, you might have a guest you know, speaker at times, but those mm-hmm. elders should be overseeing what they're what they're preaching and teaching. Yeah, here's the qualifications for an elder. Number one, that that person desires to be an overseer, but then some of the external ones, an overseer must be above reproach. Mm-hmm. They must be a husband of one wife, right? Really, the idea there in the Greek is they must be a one-woman man, mm-hmm. right? They can't be having multiple relationships. They can't be flirtatious. They yeah. cannot be giving themselves away to other women. If they're married, they're going to be committed to that mm-hmm. one woman, right? Next, they, have, they must be temperate, sensible, respectable, right? All of these have the idea of calm, of um, understanding of a man who is under control of yeah. himself, right? Um, being hospitable means that he is generous. He is sharing even of his own household. Uh, the one skill trait here is he must be able to teach the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, he must be able to do this. If, an, if a quote-unquote pastor doesn't ever teach the word of God in any context. He's not a pastor. Um, He may be a deacon, right? But he's definitely not a pastor. Mm -hmm. Also, he must not be addicted to wine and or any substance, right? Um, Paul says in Romans 6 that if we continue to present ourselves as slaves for obedience to to anything, right? We are slaves to that which we present ourselves. So if every night I have to go home and I have to drink five beers to like, quote unquote, chill out, I'm enslaved to that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just one example, but all substances are underneath that. Yeah, The pastor must not be addicted to substance or pugnacious. Now this means he can't be a sparky dude that wants to fight everybody, right? Like he can't be a man who's known for violence. I Mm -hmm. mean, straight up, right? Doesn't mean that he doesn't stand up for truth. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have convictions. He's got to have those. Yeah. But the way that he go about handling those things must be free from violence, must be free from verbal attacks um, that are malicious, right? Yeah. that's the idea with the word pugnacious. Next, he's got to be considerate and peaceable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a pastor is going to have a lot of stuff coming his way. If he's just <laughs> like domineering, yeah. right? It's not gonna, he's not going to be effectively fit for service. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest ones here is he's got to be free from the love of money, right? Yeah. This is one in, in our day, especially in the American church, uh, we celebrate this, right? The pastor's yeah. got tons of money. He's just like this rock star guy. I mean, I think that, the the easiest way to identify this is just look at churches like Hillsong. I mean, they got mm-hmm. documentaries on Netflix now, so I don't feel bad about talking about them. I mean, that is the example of pastors who are not free from the love of money, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, next, he's leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. Yeah. I think that's probably the critical element here. Yeah. With all dignity. Yeah, it's not it's not a heavy-handedness uh, of threatening your kids so right. they do what you say. It's there's a love and respect and a you know, a loving home. They're, you're training them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's um but yeah, you're 
you're leading your home well. Yeah, you're leading your home well with all dignity. Um, that's critical. Paul says if a man doesn't know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God, right? Mm-hmm. And these are general prescriptions here. These aren't like, okay, if you have a younger man who doesn't have a family, can he be a, is he a, you know, not, not qualified, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Timothy is a scriptural example of that where he was a young man, likely didn't have a family of his own to, to manage, but yet Paul brought him into the ministry. Yeah. Um, but you do want to watch out with that. The final couple here is he must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, it's easy for a pastor to become mm-hmm. conceited, if, especially if he's in this sort of church polity where he sits at the top of a big hierarchy, right? Yeah. I mean, which is You can be a big fish in a small pond and really get puffed up. But. Yeah. And then the, the final one is he's got to have a good reputation with those people outside of the church. So, you know, that's all that to say. That's what the Bible says about a biblically qualified elder, yeah. right? And that's the, the man who should be teaching you mm-hmm. or the men who should be teaching you day, uh, week in and week out, yeah. right? So that's number one about being a member of a church is you got to receive instruction from God's word by men like that. That's right. <laughs> okay. Because so, I, I get those questions a lot. The reason I want to do, bring that up is I get those questions a lot. Like, what? how do we know it's a good church? Let's just start with... Or do they have elders and are they qualified? Right. If if the answer is no, it's not a good church. Yeah. Is the guy <laughs> that you are following just calling himself a pastor? Yeah. Or has he been ordained and sent out by another body of believers to do what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody out there who feels they've been called to being a pastor can start telling people, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. Yeah. I'm a, they can I, start a church. They can they do, can do they anything. Yeah. Start in their home. They can start it over here. They could rent this building space out over here and say, this is so-and-so's church. Have they been ordained, right? Yeah. I mean, do they have any outside group of people that are within the church that are attesting to this man's qualifications, yeah, right? And that he has been tested mm-hmm. in that so way. You got to watch out. I mean, my own personal story, I felt the call to be a pastor years before I understood what it really meant to be a pastor, <laughs> sure, right? Sure. If I started calling myself a pastor just because I felt like it, oh yeah. my goodness, you'd have all kinds of people out there, right? And you could, you probably could have got you a following in a crowd. It's not hard to get a following, dude. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get. Look at look at social media. Any right. any right. you know person can just start doing certain things and get a huge following, right? Right. So you could get a, you can get people meeting at a space, and you can get them all fired up and, yeah. and have a big emotional time. And oh, that felt great. I'm gonna come back here next week. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Everybody <laughs> that, calling you Pastor Mike and all this. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it's wicked. <laughs> yeah, that's wicked. So the next part about being a church membership, uh, being part of church membership, means that you are included in a body whose focus is serving and edifying one another through the proper use of spiritual gifts. The mm-hmm. proper use of spiritual gifts. Now, listener, if you listen to our podcast series on First Corinthians, which mm-hmm. we just finished, um, we talked a lot about spiritual gifts, right? Right. Chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians focus on that. And the whole purpose of them. Yeah. The, what is the purpose? For the edification of the saints. Mm-hmm. For other people. To build up into Christ. Amen. 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 Some scripture references if you'd like to look at them. Romans 12, 3 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 will tell you about the proper use of spiritual gifts. But that's what church membership's about. Mm-hmm. It's about hearing from the Lord through his word and then taking that information as being led by the Spirit and serving one another, building one another up, Amen. right? Yeah. The third section here says participating in the ordinances. Now, Chad, what are the ordinances, and why is it important that we participate in them? Things like baptism, um, obviously, we're commanded to, and we see the examples in the early church of the believers being baptized because it was symbolic of dying to your old self, 
being raised anew, but it was a sim- symbol of what was in your heart. So baptism doesn't save you, but it is it is a sacrament, it is an ordinance. Um, Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me. Like, as often as you do this, rem- it's the purpose of remembering the gospel, remembering Christ's death and resurrection. And mm-hmm. um, Once again, there's no special powers in the juice or in the bread that you take. Mm-hmm. It's a... Uh, Sim- symbolic of your commitment to the Lord and to uh, worship. Yeah. Um, yeah, we see a good example of the early church doing this in Acts chapter mm-hmm. 2, verses 38 through 42. You have baptism <clears throat> and you have the Lord's Supper. Listen mm-hmm. to this here, starting in verse 38, chapter 2 of Acts. Peter says to the crowd, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's baptism, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's put in the order of being after repentance, mm-hmm. right? So you repent, uh, you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which which is an external symbol, like you said, of mm-hmm. the forgiveness that's taken place. Verse 39, for the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this crooked generation. So then, those who had received his word, they were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls to the church in Jerusalem. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, there's your Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common." I'll stop there, right? So we see a, a wonderful picture of the early church mm-hmm. doing the basics, right? Uh, they're listening to the apostles' teaching. There's the receiving instruction from God's word, right? They're going to be serving one another and edifying one another all throughout their time together. And they're going to be taking place in the ordinances, which is what we just read there. Next, the church exists to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. Yeah. And I would say, uh, and I didn't make this up, this is what the scriptures teach, that this is the primary reason why we're still here on earth. Yep. Is to go win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, more would be added to the church. Yeah. Now, it's not us winning souls. It's the Lord through us winning souls. Right. But worship can be done more effectively and more purely in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, teaching certainly can be done more effectively <laughs> in heaven. Um, all of the things that, that the fellowship is going to be much better in heaven. Yeah. Right? All of the things that we tend to make like the primary reason for us meeting together. Right. All that could be done better in heaven. Yeah, you remove all sin, and all of a sudden there's no weird little gossipy, backbiting weirdness. There's no more church discipline, (laughs) right? There's no more distractions. When I'm sitting there listening to a sermon, all of a sudden I'm off in La La Land. I don't know how I got there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, none of that will happen. Right. We'll be there, and we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ and our brothers and sisters in him. But the reason we're here is to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Hey, everyone, it's Mike here. If you enjoy listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder. What is a builder? A builder is a monthly donor, someone who believes in what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Nehemiah Project. And one of the many things that we do is this podcast. Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today.
So those are the primary reasons why we should be in church membership, and that's what we're going to be doing in the body of Christ. And so one of the questions that we hear quite often, Chad, is, well, I never, like, see the word membership in the Bible. So are you, like, really supposed to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the basis for church membership, scripturally speaking? Well, first of all, we got to look to our example of the early church because that's really our church now is reflective of what we see in Acts and the epistles, right? Because we live in this time of redemptive history, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the time of apostles has ended. Now we have elders, pastors, shepherds who are just managers and stewards of of God's church until he returns, right? So we need to do what we see in scripture and what we see in scripture is bodies of believers together with elders who are appointed and deacons and and leaders who are shepherding and guiding their souls. Mm-hmm. They're committed to the church. Yeah. Um, we see the existence of church government. I just I just talked about with right. elders and deacons. Let's talk about church government for a second because this is definitely a topic that I think just like generally speaking mm-hmm. in the congregation, it's not like very well known. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. That's compound. That confusion is compounded then by like all the different examples yeah. that we see. So like, which one's right? Like, is there a freedom in this area? Right. Yeah. Those are the questions that I think people have, and they're good. I think that they're good questions because yeah. church government. Again, I can't like go to one book of the Bible and go, mm-hmm. oh, there's the doctrine of church government. Right. Right. right, right it's right. again one of those things that we see in Acts right. that is that is there it's quite explicitly. Yeah. But again, it's not codified like the Book of Romans is. You know yeah, exactly. But the two explicit offices and instructions for how to appoint those offices are first elders, mm-hmm. who are your overseers, your pastors, uh, and we see the qualifications for the elders we've already read, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second is deacons. We see that in Acts 7, where they first appoint deacons that are meant to be essentially servants to the elders, mm-hmm. uh, who, who give some oversight of certain ministry areas, mm-hmm. and we see the qualifications for deacons. In First uh, Timothy, First Timothy, and and in Titus, mm-hmm. so there are no other offices in in the Bible, right? In Scripture, there's plenty of ways to serve, but those are the two offices, exactly, right? The two positions of authority right. that's been delegated mm-hmm. by the chief shepherd. That's right, and there should be a plurality of elders. I mean, more than one uh, that gives great uh, wisdom and balance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and accountability, and there can be as many deacons as you want. Yeah, uh, if there's qualified deacons. Add them to the list, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, the bigger the body of believers is, the, the more, more elders, elders and more deacons, more deacons you're yeah. going to just need to, to exercise exercise right. good leadership. So I don't really think when it comes to church polity and, and government that there is, I, I'm not of the belief that there can be any um, wiggle room here. Yeah. Because it's so explicit. <clears throat> because this these are the offices, not only do we see an example of, but we see the command to appoint, and mm-hmm. we see the qualifications for it. There's no other commands in Scripture that we say, well, it says this and do this, but there's some wiggle room here. We don't do that yeah. with anything else. Though I would I would add one element. You know, what? Well, where does the congregation? What do they do? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, how are they involved in leadership decisions? Sure. Are they involved? Right? Sure. And in in all honesty, the Scriptures pretty much put forward that the congregation is involved in a very small way as far mm-hmm. as leadership decisions are made. Right. 
And basically, we see that whenever ordination comes up mm -hmm. for both offices, right? right? So elders and deacons, right? Mm -hmm. So an example of how this would work out practically would be, all right, we've got this man in our congregation. He is, uh, he's gone through the training for eldership. He fits the biblical qualifications. Um, we are going to ordain him, church. This would be said at a members meeting. We're going to ordain him in the next two or three weeks. During that time of waiting, this is your opportunity to come forward to the elders and give us any reasons why you believe this man is biblically unqualified mm -hmm. for that particular office. Right. And so that's really what we see put forward very clearly. Yeah. As far as like voting on certain issues and all of that, I think that there's probably some very pragmatic reasons why you should you could implement those, but that doesn't mean that you should implement right. those because that's not what the scripture puts forward. And honestly, in the American church, that's more that's more influenced by our democracy and government than it is what the Bible says. Yeah, I believe, and I could be wrong about this. Um, so, any church history buffs out there, please feel free to contact me and correct me. But yeah, I believe like church voting um, in our country really became something that was quite common in the. Um, the early days of the of the uh, American Republic, you know, yeah. during the colonial period, exactly. where you had like Congregationalists coming, and basically mm -hmm. that was the primary denomination. Ba Baptists came along a little bit later, mm -hmm. but Congregationalists were really like the ones that put forward this, and it's part of the d democratic spirit. Yeah, and a lot of the Baptists adopted that Congregationalist mm -hmm. idea, but it's unwise because now you have you don't one you don't know if they're mature, like so if you let your every member vote have a vote um they may be christians but are they mature have they grown are they wise in these certain right. areas do they do they have the the church's best in mind you know that's the reason why you leave it to the elders to do the congregation has a say like you said in the elders that are appointed mm -hmm. uh, and you're submitting to those elders but you're trusting the elders that you're a part of mm -hmm. helping appoint Yes. But after that, you're you're trusting that they're spending the time and that they are men of God who are who are searching the scripture and who are wise and who are there to protect and shepherd you. Yeah, it's much like a, I talk about this when I do marriage counseling, uh, especially in premarital. Though God has made male and female equal in in um, in in the sense of value, but mm -hmm. different just in roles and, and mm -hmm. authority. And the wife is to submit to her husband. Now, here's where the wife has a say. Who she marries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she doesn't have... That's why I always tell them in dating, like, spend the time. S watch how they s uh, walk with God. Mm -hmm. See what type of man they are. Listen, come to your pastor. Like, have more people involved to say, yeah, this is a godly man. Mm -hmm. Because if you, when you say, I do, you're saying, I'm going to submit to this person as my leader. Mm-hmm. That's why I said, here's what an elder is and, and share with you all the scriptures about what they should be so you can say when you're coming to a church to decide what church to be a part of and to be a member of, the first thing you should care about is do they have qualified elders because these are the people that I'm submitting mm -hmm. to. Yeah, and someone might say, well, where's the checks and balances on them? Well, here's one scripture that would provide you with the answer. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that terrifies me as a pastor. Yeah, me like, too. Like, <laughs> I gotta give an account for these for these people before mm -hmm. holy God. Yeah. Yes, that doesn't. He doesn't say that about the congregation. Yeah. Right. So there's your checks and balances, exactly. right? Like there is a system of that. 
ordained by the Lord God Almighty in church government. And mm. so the congregation is active in those ordinations decisions right. in that way. Um, and that, that's, that's really it as far as the governing of the church is concerned, yeah. right? We, we're not a democratic republic. We're in a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that means that there's one who has the ultimate authority, and, that's, and it's what he says goes, that's right? That's Lord Jesus. That's why, once again, protective for yourself as a person in the congregation is to care about the word of God above all else because it's God's word that's our authority, and that you would look to God's word to see if, if your elders are qualified and are they faithful to preach and teach the word. Mm-hmm. Then you know you can trust them because they are being faithful to God's word, who God is our authority, right? Mm-hmm. And and then you see other things too. Are the checks and balances there among the elders? Meaning, do you have a plurality of elders? Um, that's safety because there's not one has full authority and you have men who check each other. Right? Yeah, and that's key because today's model usually puts one guy at the top. Right. And, and that's very unhealthy for a human being to have all that mm-hmm. power. Like the great prophet Kanye West said at one point, <laughs> no one man should have all that power. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> and that's true because absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's right. right. You need a round table of men who are equal at that table. That's no, correct. No voice is louder than the other. So another one of the bases for church membership, on top of the example of the early church that we have, on top of the existence of church government that we see in the book of Acts in particular, is the exercise of church discipline, mm-hmm. which Jesus, the Lord, speaks about himself in right. Matthew chapter 18, particularly in verses 15 through 20. It says, Now if a brother sins, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and the tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So Jesus telling us um, that when we have to exercise church discipline as a church body, that he is there ruling in our midst. Mm -hmm. He is giving us that permission Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, We don't have enough time to go through all of the scriptures concerning God's desire for a pure church, but let it be known that his bride will be dressed in white. Mm -hmm. She will be spotless, right? And so church discipline is another one of the bases for this this concept, this doctrine of church membership, right? And there's a ton of scriptures. If you're listening and you want to write these down, I would encourage you to go study Titus chapter 3, look at verse 10. Go look at Romans chapter 15. I believe it's verses 15 through 17. Go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just read that whole chapter. But particularly starting in verse 9 and following, you'll mm-hmm. see the prescription. Uh, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 and verses 15 and 16. Those are very important texts to go see the exercise of church discipline. Mm-hmm. And this necessitates an actual church membership, right? Yeah. This necessitates and assumes that there are people who are gathered together for the express purpose of 
learning from God's word, serving and edifying one another, participating in the ordinances, proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost, and submitting themselves to the authority of biblically qualified elders, that if any of those people who have made that commitment to do those things get out of line with the text of scripture, then it behooves the other members to be like an immune system, Mm -hmm. surround that, Mm -hmm. right? And take care of that issue in love, right? That is the picture that we see of church discipline. It is about keeping the church pure Mm -hmm. and glorifying God through that. And the simplistic picture there is you can't be put out of the church if you weren't in, in the, the church. church. <laughs> That's right. So again, and, and that, that kind of points to the overarching idea here that the basis for church membership is the implication of its existence by all these other things that we're mentioning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The final basis for church membership is the exhortation to mutual edification. There's yeah. no way. The one another's. I can't do the one another's unless I know that the other person's going to be showing up all the time, right? Yeah, that's right. And so we've got those bases. We've got the definition. We've got the function. We've talked about the existence of church membership. We've talked about the exercise of church discipline. We've talked about all of those things as it pertains to stewarding our relationship with one another. Now, to end this podcast, let's go back to some of the scriptures that we've already referred to, like Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. What are the consequences of forsaking the fellowship, right? Because we talked mm-hmm. about being in two kingdom bondage versus yeah. one kingdom freedom, right? When I'm when I'm viewing my relationships in this particular context, my relationship to the rest of my brothers and sisters in Christ, when I view that relationship as a manager, as one who is meant to reflect God and glorify God in those relationships, well, what happens when I'm disobedient to that call? What happens when I forsake the fellowship? Well, one, and this is a, the most dangerous one, is that it may it's probably an indication that you're not a believer at all. To have no desire to be a part of the body, to have no desire to have accountability, to have no desire to grow, to be taught the word, to be discipled, to be even rebuked or even repent, would say you probably aren't a Christian. Right. Like, um, here's here's Jesus' words again. Truly I say that if he refuses to listen to even the church, then let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. The Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, which I just referred to, mm-hmm. he says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Mm-hmm. Being self-condemned in the Greek means he's brought this on himself yeah. by his unwillingness or her unwillingness to repent yeah. and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They have brought this discipline on themselves. Yeah. So that's just a couple of, of the reasons right. uh, that the scripture gives to, to do this and, and the mm-hmm. severe warning against forsaking the fellowship, right? That's right. Let's put the picture of a flock in our mind for one moment. Flock of sheep, because yeah, yeah. that's what Jesus refers to us as. That's right. We're a bunch of stupid sheep. They have to be. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. We have to be shepherded, right? We yeah. need that, right? We're really not. Human beings really aren't all that in a bag of chips. No. When, you, when you start to think about how s- seriously sick our hearts can be, yeah. right? I mean, obviously, when we get saved, that changes because of the new covenant promises of a new heart. But still, we have remnant sin. We do silly things. We do really, really dumb things, right? So I think being called a sheep is, that's okay with me. I don't know about you, but it's okay with me. Now, because sheep are great animals, they just need a shepherd to lead. They need a shepherd, man. And when you get a sheep that's by himself, 
out in the wilderness. Oh, he's lost. He's in danger. Severe danger. I mean, soon a wolf or a lion, some, something's going to Something's going to come eat him up. And I mean, he's, he's got no defense. No defense. He's defenseless. Mm -hmm. The only defense a sheep has is to be part of the flock and bundle up tight. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're in as close as you can be to the center right. of that flock. Yeah, a sheep to a lion is like a bag of chips to a fat guy. <laughs> I'm coming for it, baby. <laughs> I'm coming for it, and ain't it going to be that hard to get? <laughs> I want that. That's true. Man, I'm hungry now. But the reality is... It's getting close to lunch. I think that's why I'm thinking all these analogies. <laughs> I know we're talking We're talking about this in some, a, a, a funny way, but this mm -hmm. is a this is of dire consequence yeah, to forsake serious. the fellowship. I mean, we're, we use the language of Scripture that when Jesus says, if this person is unwilling to repent, to reconcile with the fellowship. Because remember, if you are a church member and you are forsaking that fellowship, what that means is it's so much deeper than, oh, I just don't go to this building on Sunday. What that means is I am cut off from the life of mm -hmm. those people. And this is where the rubber meets the road, listener. Pay attention. We do ourselves and we do scripture damage when we conceptualize the church as just simply a building where a bunch of people get together and meet on Sunday. Yeah. That is not the church of the early, uh, uh, that is not the church of the early New Testament age. Mm -hmm. uh, the church is a gathering of people. It is the ecclesia. It is those who have been called out by God himself. And so when someone is put out of the church because of their unwillingness to reconcile, because of their unwillingness to repent, that necessarily means that they are no longer to fellowship with the brothers and sisters in that body. That's yeah. what that means. And I want to say a few things to you from Matthew 7. Starting in verse 14, he says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He's talking about the gospel and, and about his word and what he says, we have this um, view within our, especially in the American society and the American church that this easy believism, this, I can be, I, you know, me and God are good idea. It's not true. I mean, to go on further, he talks about beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's talking mm -hmm. about Christians here. Now, this is the one that should really hit you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I will, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, who does the will, and we've expressly shown the will of the Lord to be a part of the body, right? Mm -hmm. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm. Just because you say you're a Christian, just because someone says they're a pastor, just because fill in the blank does not mean it's true. You will know them by their fruits, and the fruit is those who love me, Jesus says, obey my commands. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so the unfortunate reality is in today's world, commitment is just a rare commodity, mm -hmm. right? And so it's very easy for people to um, leave a body of believers, right? It's very easy for people to just, well, I guess I'm not going to that building. I'll go to this building over yeah. here. And I'll say it again, when 
we uh, unfortunately have to put people out of the church, um, that necessarily means that fellowship between us and that individual is severely and drastically changed. Yeah. Um, we are to pursue them. Um, you know, it does tell us in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 that we are to admonish them as a brother or sister. But that word admonish means to warn. It means to make them remember the commitment that they made because God does not take that commitment lightly. Mm-hmm. That commitment is not something to be whimsically broken as you feel you can, right? The commitment means something to the Lord. And unfortunately, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us in our day and age today. Mm-hmm. But for God's people, for God's true church, it does mean something. And we have to stand firm on his word. And by doing so, man, he promises so much blessing. Mm-hmm. It is so worth it in every imaginable way. And I want to encourage you, Christian, listening out there, if you're a part of a church that is going through some church discipline now, we know how tough that can be. I mean, Chad and I, we know that yeah. from experience. It is not something that anybody likes to go through, but we understand the mandate we have um, as church members and as pastors to do what the Lord says because we love him and trusting him with the results, right? Mm -hmm. We are to admonish that individual who wants to leave the membership um, as a believer, but we are to consider them as an unbeliever, right? It's a very interesting juxtaposition there, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so... We have to take the word seriously. And we have to remember that we are stewards. When we are redeemed, we now become managers of everything that comes into our life. We manage our money, like we talked about in our last episode, and we manage the relationships that we have to other people. And next time on True Stewardship, we're going to talk about how to manage our time in a godly way. And that'll be a very interesting podcast to go through. (laughs) Chad, any final words before we finish today's podcast? Yeah, my my encouragement, since we talked about a lot of serious things towards the end here, is don't miss out on the blessing of being a part of God's church, being a part of a family of Christ, to have people who treat you like family, who love you enough to to be honest with you when you sin, to encourage you in the Word of God, to worship with you, to help build you up, and to bear burdens with you. Don't miss out on those opportunities. Amen, amen. We thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.